英語聞き流しリスニング英語テキストと MP3 ダウンロードその他の物語はホームページからお聞きいただけます 88thpp.com 88thpp.com Chapter 5 The Kingdom of the Future Tiltle and Mytle woke up next morning, feeling very gay. With childish carelessness, they had forgotten their disappointment. Tiltle was very proud of the compliments which Light had paid him, she seemed as happy as though he had brought the blue bird with him. She said, with a smile, as she stroked the lad's dark curls. I am quite satisfied. You are such a good, brave boy that you will soon find what you are looking for. Tiltle did not understand the deep meaning of her words, but, for all that, he was very glad to hear them. And, besides, Light had promised him that today he would have nothing to fear in their new expedition. On the contrary, he would meet millions and millions of little children who would show him the most wonderful toys of which no one on earth had the least idea. She also told him that he and his little sister would travel alone with her this time and that all the others would take a rest while they were gone. That is why, at the moment when our chapter opens, they had all met in the underground vaults of the temple. Light thought it as well to lock up the elements and things. She knew that, if they were left to do as they pleased, they might escape and get into mischief. It was not so very cruel of her, because the vaults of her temple are even lighter and lovelier than the upper floors of human houses, but you cannot get out without her leave. She alone has the power of widening, with a stroke of her wand, a little cleft in an emerald wall at the end of the passage, through which you go down a few crystal steps till you come to a sort of cave, all green and transparent like a forest when the sunlight sweeps through its branches. Usually, this great hall was quite empty, but now it had sofas in it and a gold table laid with fruits and cakes and creams and delicious wines, which Light's servants had just finished setting out. Light's servants were very odd. They always made the children laugh, with their long white satin dresses and their little black caps with a flame at the top, they looked like lighted candles. Their mistress sent them away and then told the animals and things to be very good and asked them if they would like some books and games to play with. They answered, with a laugh, that nothing amused them more than eating and sleeping and that they were very glad to stay where they were. Light's servants were very odd. Tylo, of course, did not share this view. His heart spoke louder than his greed or his laziness, and his great dark eyes turned an entreaty on Tylo, who would have been only too pleased to take his faithful companion with him, if Light had not absolutely forbidden it. I can't help it, said the boy, giving him a kiss. It seems that dogs are not admitted where we are going. Suddenly, Tylo sprang up with delight, a great idea had struck him. He had not left his real, doggy life long enough to forget any part of it, especially his troubles. Which was the greatest of these? Was it not the chain? What melancholy hours Tylo had spent fastened to an iron ring. And what humiliation he endured when the woodcutter used to take him to the village and, with unspeakable silliness, keep him on the lead in front of everybody, thus depriving him of the pleasure of greeting his friends and sniffing the smells provided for his benefit at every street corner and in every gutter. Well, he said to himself, I shall have to submit to that humiliating torture once again, to go with my little god. Faithful to his traditions, he had, in spite of his fine clothes, kept his dog collar, but not his lead. What was to be done? He was once more in despair, when he saw water lying on a sofa and playing, in an absent-minded sort of way, with her long strings of coral. He ran up to her as prettily as he could and, after paying her a heap of compliments, begged her to lend him her biggest necklace. She was in a good temper and not only did what he asked, but was kind enough to fasten the end of the coral string to his collar. Tylo gaily went up to his master, handed him this necklace chain and, kneeling at his feet, said. 
Take me with you like this, my little God. Men never say a word to a poor dog when he is on his chain. Alas, even like this, you cannot come. Setlight, who was much touched by this act of self-sacrifice, and, to cheer him up, she told him that fate would soon provide a trial for the children in which his assistance would be of great use. As she spoke these words, she touched the emerald wall, which opened to let her pass through with the children. Her chariot was waiting outside the entrance to the temple. It was a lovely shell of jade, inlaid with gold. They all three took their seats, and the two great white birds harnessed to it at once flew off through the clouds. The chariot travelled very fast, and they were not long on the road, much to the regret of the children, who were enjoying themselves and laughing like anything, but other and even more beautiful surprises awaited them. The clouds vanished around them, and, suddenly, they found themselves in a dazzling azure palace. Here, all was blue, the light, the flagstones, the columns, the vaults, everything, down to the smallest objects, was of an intense and fairy-like blue. There was no seeing the end of the palace, the eyes were lost in the infinite sapphire vistas. How lovely it all is! said Tyltal, who could not get over his astonishment. Goodness me, how lovely! Where are we? We are in the kingdom of the future, said Light, in the midst of the children who are not yet born. As the diamond allows us to see clearly in this region which is hidden from men, we shall perhaps find the blue bird here. Look! Look at the children running up! From every side came bands of little children dressed from head to foot in blue, they had beautiful dark or golden hair and they were all exquisitely pretty. They shouted gleefully. Live children! Come and look at the little live children! Why do they call us the little live children? asked Tottle, of light. It is because they themselves are not alive yet. They are awaiting the hour of their birth, for it is from here that all the children come who are born upon our earth. When the fathers and mothers want children, the great doors which you see over there, at the back, are opened, and the little ones go down. What a lot there are! What a lot there are! cried Tyltle. There are many more, said Light. No one could count them. But go a little further, you will see other things. Tyltle did as he was told and elbowed his way through, but it was difficult for him to move, because a crowd of blue children pressed all around them. At last, by mounting on a step, our little friend was able to look over the throng of inquisitive heads and see what was happening in every part of the hall. It was most extraordinary. Tyltle had never dreamed of anything like it. He danced with joy, and Mytel, who was hanging on to him and standing on tiptoe so that she might see too, clapped her little hands and gave loud cries of wonder. All around were millions of children in blue, some playing, others walking about, others talking or thinking. Many were asleep, many also were at work, and their instruments, their tools, the machines which they were building, the plants, the flowers and the fruits which they were growing or gathering were of the same bright and heavenly blue as the general appearance of the palace. Among the children moved tall persons also dressed in blue, they were very beautiful and looked just like angels. They came up to light and smiled and gently pushed aside the blue children, who went back quietly to what they were doing, though still watching our friends with astonished eyes. One of them, however, remained standing close to Tyvel. He was quite small. From under his long sky-blue silk dress peeped two little pink and dimpled bare feet. His eyes stared in curiosity at the little live boy, and he went up to him as though in spite of himself. May I talk to him? asked Tyltal, who felt half glad and half frightened. Certainly, said Light. You must make friends. I will leave you alone, you will be more at ease by yourselves. So saying, she went away and left the two children face to face, shyly smiling. Suddenly, they began to talk. How do you do? said Tyltal, putting out his hand to the child. But the child did not understand what that meant and stood without moving. What's that?
continued Tavel, touching the child's blue dress. The child, who was absorbed in what he was looking at, did not answer, but gravely touched Tavel's hat with his finger. And that? He lisped. That? That's my hat, said Tavel. Have you no hat? No, what is it for? asked the child. It's to say how do you do with, Tavel answered. And then for when it's cold. What does that mean, when it's cold? asked the child. When you shiver like this, brrr, brrr, said Tavel. And when you go like this with your arms, vigorously beating his arms across his chest. Is it cold on earth? asked the child. Yes, sometimes, in winter, when there is no fire. Why is there no fire? Because it's expensive, and it costs money to buy wood. The child looked at Tavel again as though he did not understand a word that Tavel was saying, and Tavel in his turn looked amazed. It's quite clear that he knows nothing of the most everyday things, thought our hero, while the child stared with no small respect at the little live boy who knew everything. Then he asked Tavel what money was. Why, it's what you pay with, said Tavel, scorning to give any further explanation. Oh, said the child, seriously. Of course, he did not understand. How could he know, a little boy like that, who lived in a paradise where his least wishes were granted before he had learned to put them into words? How old are you? asked Tavel, continuing the conversation. I am going to be born soon, said the child. I shall be born in twelve years. Is it nice to be born? Oh, yes, cried Tavel, without thinking. It's great fun. But he was very much at a loss when the little boy asked him how he managed. His pride did not allow him to be ignorant of anything in another child's presence, and it was quite droll to see him with his hands in his breeches pockets, his legs wide apart, his face upturned and his whole attitude that of a man who is in no hurry to reply. At last, he answered, with a shrug of the shoulders. Upon my word, I can't remember. It's so long ago. They say it's lovely, the earth and the live people. Remarked the child. Yes, it's not bad, said Tavel. There are birds and cakes and toys. Some have them all, but those who have none can look at the others. This reflection shows us the whole character of our little friend. He was proud and inclined to be rather high and mighty, but he was never envious and his generous nature made up to him for his poverty by allowing him to enjoy the good fortune of others. Other blue children opened great big books. The two children talked a good deal more, but it would take too long to tell you all they said, because what they said was sometimes only interesting to themselves. After a while, Light, who was watching them from a distance, hurried up to them a little anxiously, Tavla was crying. Big tears came rolling down his cheeks and falling on his smart coat. She understood that he was talking of his grandmother and that he could not keep back his tears at the thought of the love which he had lost. He was turning away his head, to hide his feelings, but the inquisitive child kept asking him questions. Do the grannies die? What does that mean, dying? They go away one evening and do not come back. Has yours gone? Yes, said Tavel. She was very kind to me. And, at these words, the poor little fellow began to cry again. The blue child had never seen anyone cry. He lived in a world where grief did not exist. His surprise was great, and he exclaimed. What's the matter with your eyes? Are they making pearls? To him those tears were wonderful things. No, it's not pearls, said Tavel, sheepishly. What is it then? but our poor friend would not admit what he looked upon as a weakness. He rubbed his eyes awkwardly and put everything down to the dazzling blue of the palace. The puzzled child insisted. What's that falling down? Nothing, it's a little water, said Tiltle, impatiently, 
hoping to cut short the explanation. But that was out of the question. The child was very obstinate, touched Tobel's cheeks with his finger and asked, in a tone of curiosity. Does it come from the eyes? Yes, sometimes, when one cries. What does that mean, crying? asked the child. I have not been crying, said Tobel proudly. It's the fault of that blue. But, if I had cried, it would be the same thing. Do you often cry on earth? Not little boys, but little girls do. Don't you cry here? No, I don't know how. Well, you will learn. At that moment, a great breath of wind made him turn his head and he saw, at a few steps away from him, a large piece of machinery which he had not noticed at first, as he was taken up with his interest in the little child. It was a grand and magnificent thing, but I cannot tell you its name, because the inventions of the kingdom of the future will not be christened by man until they reach the earth. I can only say that Tyldall, when he looked at it, thought that the enormous azure wings that whizzed so swiftly before his eyes were like the windmills in his part of the world and that, if he ever found the blue bird, its wings would certainly be no more delicate, dainty or dazzling. Full of admiration, he asked his new acquaintance what they were. Those? said the child. That's for the invention which I shall make on earth. And, seeing Tobel stare with wide open eyes, he added. When I am on earth, I shall have to invent the thing that gives happiness. Would you like to see it? It is over there, between those two columns. Tobel turned round to look, but all the children at once rushed at him, shouting. No, no, come and see mine. No, mine is much finer. Mine is a wonderful invention. Mine is made of sugar. His is no good. I'm bringing a light which nobody knows of. And, so saying, the last child lit himself up entirely with a most extraordinary flame. Amid these joyous exclamations, the live children were dragged towards the blue workshops, where each of the little inventors set his machine going. It was a great blue whirl of discs and pulleys and straps and flywheels and driving wheels and cogwheels and all kinds of wheels, which sent every sort of machine skimming over the ground or shooting up to the ceiling. Other blue children unfolded maps and plans, or opened great big books, or uncovered azure statues, or brought enormous flowers and gigantic fruits that seemed made of sapphires and turquoises. Our little friends stood with their mouths wide open and their hands clasped together, they thought themselves in paradise. Mytel bent over to look at a huge flower and laughed into its cup, which covered up her head like a hood of blue silk. A pretty child, with dark hair and thoughtful eyes, held it by the stalk and said, proudly, the flowers will all grow like that, when I am on earth. When will that be? asked Tottle. In fifty-three years, four months and nine days. Next came two blue children bending under the weight of a pole from which was slung a bunch of grapes each larger than a pear. A bunch of pears! cried Tottle. No, they are grapes, said the child. They will all be like that when I am thirty, I have found the way. Tyltle would have loved to taste them, but another child came along almost hidden under a basket which one of the tall persons was helping him to carry. His fair-haired, rosy face smiled through the leaves that hung over the wickerwork. Other blue children unfolded maps and plans, or brought enormous flowers. Look! He said. Look at my apples. But those are melons! Said Tyltle. No, no! Said the child. They are my apples. They will all be alike when I am alive. I have discovered the process. I should never finish if I were to try and describe to my little readers all the wonderful and incredible things that appeared before our hero's eyes. But, suddenly, a loud burst of laughter rang through the hall. A child had spoken of the king of the nine planets, and Tyltle, very much puzzled and perplexed, looked on every side. All the faces, bright with laughter, were turned to some spot which Tyltle could not see, 
every finger pointed in the same direction, but our friend looked in vain. They had spoken of a king. He was looking for a throne with a tall, dignified personage on it, wielding a golden scepter. Over there, over there, lower down, behind you. Said a thousand little voices together. But where is the king? Tiltal and Mytil repeated, greatly interested. Then, suddenly, a louder and more serious voice sounded above the silvery murmur of the others. Here I am. It said proudly. And, at the same time, Tiltal discovered a chubby baby which he had not yet remarked, for it was the smallest and had kept out of the way till then, sitting at the foot of a column in an attitude of indifference, seemingly wrapped in contemplation. The little king was the only one who had taken no notice of the live children. His beautiful, liquid eyes, eyes as blue as the palace, were pursuing endless dreams, his right hand supported his head, which was already heavy with thought, his short tunic showed his dimpled knees, and a golden crown rested on his yellow locks. When he cried, Here I am. The baby rose from the step on which he was sitting and tried to climb onto it at one stride, but he was still so awkward that he lost his balance and fell upon his nose. He at once picked himself up with so much dignity that nobody dared make fun of him, and, this time, he scrambled up on all fours and then, putting his legs wide apart, stood and eyed Tiltle from top to toe. You're not very big, said Tiltle, doing his best to keep from laughing. I shall do great things when I am, retorted the king, in a tone that admitted of no reply. And what will you do? asked Tiltle. I shall found the general confederation of the solar planets, said the king, in a very pompous voice. Our friend was so much impressed that he could not find a word to say, and the king continued. All the planets will belong to it, except Uranus, Saturn, and Neptune, which are too ridiculously far away. Thereupon, he toddled off the step again and resumed his first attitude, showing that he had said all that he meant to say. Tiltle left him to his meditations, he was eager to know as many more of the children as he could. He was introduced to the discoverer of a new sun, to the inventor of a new joy, to the hero who was to wipe out injustice from the earth and to the wiseacre who was to conquer death. There were such lots and lots of them that it would take days and days to name them all. Our friend was rather tired and was beginning to feel bored, when his attention was suddenly aroused by hearing a child's voice calling him. Tottle! Tottle! How are you, Tottle, how are you? A little blue child came running up from the back of the hall, pushing his way through the crowd. He was fair and slim and bright-eyed and had a great look of mytle. How do you know my name? asked Tottle. It's not surprising, said the blue child, considering that I shall be your brother. This time, the live children were absolutely amazed. What an extraordinary meeting. They must certainly tell mummy as soon as they got back. How astonished they would be at home. While they were making these reflections, the child went on to explain. I am coming to you next year, on Palm Sunday, he said. And he put a thousand questions to his big brother, was it comfortable at home? Was the food good? Was daddy very severe? And mummy? Oh, mummy is so kind. Said the little ones. And they asked him questions in their turn, what was he going to do on earth? What was he bringing? I am bringing three illnesses, said the little brother. Scarlatina, whooping cough and measles. Oh, Thal, is it? cried Tiltal. He shook his head, with evident disappointment, while the other continued. After that, I shall leave you. It will hardly be worthwhile coming, said Tiltal, feeling rather vexed. We can't pick and choose, said the little brother, pettishly. They would perhaps have quarreled, without waiting till they were on earth, if they had not suddenly been parted by a swarm of blue children who were hurrying to meet somebody. At the same time, there was a great noise, 
as if thousands of invisible doors were being opened at the end of the galleries. What's the matter? asked Tavl. It's time, said one of the blue children. He's going to open the doors. And the excitement increased on every side. The children left their machines and their labors, those who were asleep woke up, and every eye was eagerly and anxiously turned to the great oval doors at the back, while every mouth repeated the same name. The word, time. Time. Was heard all around, and the great mysterious noise kept on. Tiltle was dying to know what it meant. At last, he caught a little child by the skirt of his dress and asked him. Let me be, said the child, very uneasily. I'm in a hurry, it may be my turn today. It is the dawn rising. This is the hour when the children who are to be born today go down to earth. You shall see. Time is drawing the bolts. Who is time? asked Tottle. An old man who comes to call those who are going, said another child. He is not so bad, but he won't listen or hear. Beg as they may, if it's not their turn, he pushes back all those who try to go. Let me be. It may be my turn now. Light now hastened towards our little friends in a great state of alarm. I was looking for you, she said. Come quick, it will never do for time to discover you. As she spoke these words, she threw her gold cloak around the children and dragged them to a corner of the hall, where they could see everything, without being seen. Tavla was very glad to be so well protected. He now knew that he who was about to appear possessed so great and tremendous a power that no human strength was capable of resisting him. He was at the same time a deity and an ogre, he bestowed life and he devoured it, he sped through the world so fast that you had no time to see him, he ate and ate, without stopping, he took whatever he touched. In Tyvel's family, he had already taken Grandad and Granny, the little brothers, the little sisters and the old blackbird. He did not mind what he took, joys and sorrows, winters and summers, all was fish that came to his net. Knowing this, our friend was astonished to see everybody in the kingdom of the future running so fast to meet him. I suppose he doesn't eat anything here, he thought. There he was. The great doors turned slowly on their hinges. There was a distant music, it was the sounds of the earth. A red and green light penetrated into the hall, and time appeared on the threshold. He was a tall and very thin old man, so old that his wrinkled face was all grey, like dust. His white beard came down to his knees. In one hand, he carried an enormous scythe, in the other, an hourglass. Behind him, some way out, on a sea the colour of the dawn, was a magnificent gold galley, with white sails. Are they ready whose hour has struck? asked time. At the sound of that voice, solemn and deep as a bronze gong, thousands of bright children's voices, like little silver bells, answered. Here we are. Here we are. Here we are. And, in a moment, the blue children were crowding round the tall old man, who pushed them all back and, in a gruff voice, said. One at a time. Once again, there are many more of you than are wanted. You can't deceive me. Brandishing his scythe in one hand and holding out his cloak with the other, he barred the way to the rash children who tried to slip by him. Not one of them escaped the horrid old man's watchful eye. It's not your turn. He said to one. You're to be born tomorrow. Nor yours either, you've got ten years to wait. A thirteenth shepherd? There are only twelve wanted, there is no need for more. More doctors? There are too many already, they are grumbling about it on earth. And where are the engineers? They want an honest man, only one, as a wonderful being. Thereupon, a poor child, who had hung back, until then, came forward timidly, sucking his thumb. He looked pale and sat and walked with tottering footsteps, he was so wretched that even time felt a moment's pity. It's you! he exclaimed. You seem a very poor specimen. And, in a moment, 
the blue children were crowding round the tall old man. And, lifting his eyes to the sky, with a look of discouragement, he added. You won't live long. And the movement went on. Each child, when denied, returned to his employment with a downcast air. When one of them was accepted, the others looked at him with envy. Now and then, something happened, as when the hero who was to fight against injustice refused to go. He clung to his playfellows, who called out to time. He doesn't want to, sir. No, I don't want to go, cried the little fellow, with all his might. I would rather not be born. And quite right too, thought Tyldall, who was full of common sense and who knew what things are like on earth. For people always get beatings which they have not deserved, and, when they have done wrong, you may be sure that the punishment will fall on one of their innocent friends. I wouldn't care to be in his place, said our friend to himself. I would rather hunt for the blue bird, any day. Meanwhile, the little seeker after justice went away sobbing, frightened out of his life by Mr. Time. The excitement was now at its height. The children ran all over the hall, those who were going packed up their inventions, those who were staying behind had a thousand requests to make. Will you write to me? They say one can't. Oh, try, do try. Announce my idea. Goodbye, Jean. Goodbye, Pierre. Have you forgotten anything? Don't lose your ideas. Try to tell us if it's nice. Enough. Enough. Roared Time, in a huge voice, shaking his big keys and his terrible scythe. Enough. The anchors wait. Then the children climbed into the gold galley, with the beautiful white silk sails. They waved their hands again to the little friends whom they were leaving behind them, but, on seeing the earth in the distance, they cried out, gladly. Earth! Earth! I can see it! How bright it is! How big it is! And, at the same time, as though coming from the abyss, a song rose, a distant song of gladness and expectation. Light, who was listening with a smile, saw the look of astonishment on Toddle's face and bent over him. It is the song of the mothers coming out to meet them, she said. At that moment, Time, who had shut the doors, saw our friends and rushed at them angrily, shaking his scythe at them. Hurry! said Light. Hurry! Take the blue bird, Toddle, and go in front of me with Mytel. She put into the boy's arms a bird which she held hidden under her cloak and, all radiant, spreading her dazzling veil with her two hands, she ran on, protecting her charges from the onslaught of Time. In this way, they passed through several turquoise and sapphire galleries. It was magnificently beautiful but they were in the kingdom of the future, where time was the great master, and they must escape from his anger which they had braved. Mytel was terribly frightened and Toddle kept nervously turning round to light. Don't be afraid, she said. I am the only person whom time has respected since the world began. Only mind that you take care of the blue bird. He's gorgeous. He is quite, quite blue. This thought enraptured the boy. He felt the precious treasure fluttering in his arms, his hands dared not press the pretty creature's soft, warm wings, and his heart beat against its heart. This time, he held the blue bird. Nothing could touch it, because it was given to him by Light herself. What a triumph when he returned home. He was so bewildered by his happiness that he hardly knew where he was going, his joy rang a victorious peal in his head that made him feel giddy, he was mad with pride, and this, worse luck, made him lose his coolness and his presence of mind. They were just about to cross the threshold of the palace, when a gust of wind swept through the entrance hall, lifting up Light's veil and at last revealing the two children to the eyes of Time, who was still pursuing them. With a roar of rage, he darted his scythe at Tyldall, who cried out. Light warded off the blow, and the door of the palace closed behind them with a thud. They were saved. But alas, Tyldall, taken by surprise, 
had opened his arms and now, through his tears, saw the bird of the future soaring above their heads, mingling with the azure sky its dream wings so blue, so light and so transparent that soon the boy could make out nothing more. Chapter 6 In the Temple of Light Tylevel had enjoyed himself thoroughly in the kingdom of the future. He had seen many wonderful things and thousands of little playfellows and then, without taking the least pains or trouble, had found the blue bird in his arms in the most magical way. He had never pictured anything more beautiful, more blue or brilliant, and he still felt it fluttering against his heart and kept hugging his arms to his breast as though the blue bird were there. Alas, it had vanished like a dream. He was thinking sadly of this latest disappointment as he walked hand in hand with light. They were back in the temple and were going to the vaults where the animals and things had been shut up. What a sight met their eyes. The wretches had eaten and drunk such a lot that they were lying on the floor quite tipsy. Tylo himself had lost all his dignity. He had rolled under the table and was snoring like a porpoise. His instinct remained, and the sound of the door made him prick up his ears. He opened one eye, but his sight was troubled by all that he had had to drink and he did not know his little master when he saw him. He dragged himself to his feet with a great effort, turned round several times and then dropped on the floor again with a grunt of satisfaction. Bread and the others were as bad, and the only exception was the cat, who was sitting up prettily on a marble and gold bench and seemed in full possession of her senses. She sprang nimbly to the ground and stepped up to Tylo with a smile. I have been longing to see you, she said, for I have been very unhappy among all these vulgar people. They first drank all the wine and then started shouting and singing and dancing, quarreling and fighting and making such a noise that I was very glad when, at last, they fell into a tipsy sleep. The children praised her warmly for her good behavior. As a matter of fact, there was no great merit in this, for she could not stand anything stronger than milk, but we are seldom rewarded when by rights we ought to be in sometimes or when we have not deserved it. After fondly kissing the children, Tylet asked a favor of light. I have had such a wretched time, she whined. Let me go out for a little while, it will do me good to be alone. The cat at once draped her cloak round her. Opened the door and ran and bounded out into the forest. Light gave her consent without suspecting anything, and the cat at once draped her cloak round her, put her hat straight, pulled up her soft grey boots over her knees, opened the door and ran and bounded out into the forest. We shall know, a little later, where treacherous Tylet was going so gaily and what was the horrid plot which she was mysteriously concocting. As on the other days, the children had their dinner with light in a large room all encrusted with diamonds. The servants bustled around them smiling and brought delicious dishes and cakes. After dinner, our little friends began to yawn. They felt sleepy very early, after all their adventures, and, light, ever kind and thoughtful, made them live as they were accustomed to on earth. So as not to injure their health by altering their habits, she had set up their little beds in a part of the temple where the darkness would seem like night to them. They went through any number of rooms to reach their bedroom. They had first to pass all the lights known to man and then those which man did not yet know. There were great sumptuous apartments in splendid marble, lit up by rays so white and strong that the children were quite dazzled. That is the light of the rich, said Light to Tavl. You see how dangerous it is. People run the risk of going blind when they live too much in its rays, which leave no room for soft and kindly shade. And she hurried them on so that they might rest their eyes in the gentle light of the poor. Here, the children suddenly felt as if they were in their parents' cottage, where everything was so humble and peaceful. The faint light was very pure and clear, but always flickering and ready to go out at the least breath. Next they came to the beautiful light of the poets, which they liked immensely, for it had all the colors of the rainbow, and, when you passed through it, you saw lovely pictures, lovely flowers and lovely toys which you were unable to take hold of. Laughing merrily, the children ran after birds and butterflies, 
but everything faded away as soon as it was touched. Well, I never. Said Tileful, as he came panting back to light. This beats everything. I can't understand it. You will understand later, she replied, and, if you understand it properly, you will be among the very few human beings who know the blue bird when they see him. After leaving the region of the poets, our friends reached the light of the learned, which lies on the borders of the known and the unknown lights. Let's get on, said Tavel. This is boring. To tell the truth, he was a little bit frightened, for they were in a long row of cold and forbidding arches, which were streaked at every moment by dazzling lightning flashes, and, at each flash, you saw out of the way things that had no name as yet. After these arches, they came to the lights unknown to man, and Tileful, in spite of the sleep that pressed upon his eyelids, could not help admiring the hall with its violet columns and the gallery with its red rays. And the violet of the columns was such a dark violet and the red of the rays such a pale red that it was hardly possible to see either of them. At last, they arrived at the room of smooth, unflecked black light, which men call darkness because their eyes are not yet able to make it out. And here the children fell asleep without delay on two soft beds of clouds. Dash. Chapter 7. The Graveyard. When the children were not going on an expedition, they played about in the realms of light, and this was a great treat for them, for the gardens and the country around the temple were as wonderful as the halls and galleries of silver and gold. The leaves of some of the plants were so broad and strong that they were able to lie down on them, and, when a breath of wind stirred the leaves, the children swung as in a hammock. It was always summer there and never a moment was darkened by the night, but the hours were known by their different colors, there were pink, white, blue, lilac, green and yellow hours, and, according to their hues, the flowers, the fruits, the birds, the butterflies and the scents changed, causing Tavel and Midal a constant surprise. They had all the toys that they could wish for. When they were tired of playing, they stretched themselves out on the backs of the lizards, which were as long and wide as little boats, and quickly, quickly raced round the garden paths, over the sand which was as white and as good to eat as sugar. When they were thirsty, water shook her tresses into the cup of the enormous flowers, and the children drank straight out of the lilies, tulips and morning glories. If they were hungry, they picked radiant fruits which revealed the taste of light to them and which had juice that shone like the rays of the sun. There was also, in a clump of bushes, a white marble pond which possessed a magic power, its clear waters reflected not the faces, but the souls of those who looked into it. It's a ridiculous invention, said the cat, who steadily refused to go near the pond. You, my dear little readers, who know her thoughts as well as I do, will not be surprised at her refusal. And you will also understand why our faithful Tylo was not afraid to go and quench his thirst there, he need not fear to reveal his thoughts, for he was the only creature whose soul never altered. The dear dog had no feelings but those of love and kindness and devotion. When Tylo bent over the magic mirror, he almost always saw the picture of a splendid blue bird, for the constant wish to find him filled his mind entirely. Then he would run to light and entreat her. Tell me where he is. You know everything, tell me where to find him. But she replied, in a tone of mystery. I cannot tell you anything. You must find him for yourself. And, kissing him, she added, cheer up, you are getting nearer to him at each trial. Now there came a day on which she said to him. I have received a message from the fairy Baraloon telling me that the blue bird is probably hidden in the graveyard. It appears that one of the dead in the graveyard is keeping him in his tomb. What shall we do? Asked Tautel. It is very simple, at midnight you will turn the diamond and you shall see the dead come out of the ground. At these words, milk, water, bread and sugar began to yell and scream and chatter their teeth. Don't mind them, said Light to Tylo, in a whisper. They are afraid of the dead. I'm not afraid of them. 
said fire, frisking about. Time was when I used to burn them, that was much more amusing than nowadays. Oh, I feel I am going to turn, wailed Milk. I'm not afraid, said the dog, trembling in every limb, but if you run away. I shall run away too, and with the greatest pleasure. The cat sat pulling at her whiskers. I know what's what, she said, in her usual mysterious way. Be quiet, said Light. The fairy gave strict orders. You are all to stay with me, at the gate of the graveyard, the children are to go in alone. Tiltle felt anything but pleased. He asked. Aren't you coming with us? No, said Light. The time for that has not arrived. Light cannot yet enter among the dead. Besides, there is nothing to fear. I shall not be far away, and those who love me and whom I love always find me again. She had not finished speaking, when everything around the children changed. The wonderful temple, the dazzling flowers, the splendid gardens vanished to make way for a poor little country cemetery, which lay in the soft moonlight. Near the children were a number of graves, grassy mounds, wooden crosses and tombstones. Tiltle and Mytle were seized with terror and hugged each other. I am frightened, said Mytle. I am never frightened, stammered Tiltle, who was shaking with fear, but did not like to say so. I say, asked Mytle, are the dead wicked? Why, no, said Tiltle, they're not alive. Have you ever seen one? Yes, once, long ago, when I was very young. What was it like? Quite white, very still and very cold, and it didn't talk. Are we going to see them? Tyvel shuddered at this question and made an unsuccessful effort to steady his voice as he answered. Why, of course, Light said so. Where are the dead? asked Mytel. Tyvel cast a frightened look around him, for the children had not dared to stir since they were alone. The dead are here, he said, under the grass or under those big stones. Are those the doors of their houses? asked Mytel, pointing to the tombstones. Yes. Do they go out when it's fine? They can only go out at night. Why? Because they are in their nightshirts. Do they go out also when it rains? When it rains, they stay at home. Is it nice in their homes? They say it's very cramped. Have they any little children? Why, yes, they have all those who die. And what do they live on? Tiltle stopped to think, before answering. As Mytel's big brother, he felt it his duty to know everything, but her questions often puzzled him. Then he reflected that, as the dead live underground, they can hardly eat anything that is above it, and so he answered very positively. They eat roots. Mytel was quite satisfied and returned to the great question that was occupying her little mind. Shall we see them? She asked. Of course, said Tyldal, we see everything when I turn the diamond. And what will they say? Tyldal began to grow impatient. They will say nothing, as they don't talk. Why don't they talk? Asked Mytel. Because they have nothing to say, said Tyldal, more cross and perplexed than ever. Why have they nothing to say? This time, the little big brother lost all patience. He shrugged his shoulders, gave Mytel a push and shouted angrily. You're a nuisance. Mytel was greatly upset and confused. She sucked her thumb and resolved to hold her tongue forever after, as she had been so badly treated. But a breath of wind made the leaves of the trees whisper and suddenly recalled the children to their fears and their sense of loneliness. They hugged each other tight and began to talk again, so as not to hear the horrible silence. When will you turn the diamond? asked Mytel. You heard Light say that I was to wait until midnight, because that disturbs them less, it is when they come out to take the air. Isn't it midnight yet? Tyvel turned round, saw the church clock and hardly had the strength to answer, 
for the hands were just upon the hour. Listen, he stammered, listen. It is just going to strike. There. Do you hear? And the clock struck twelve. Then Midal, frightened out of her life, began to stamp her feet and utter piercing screams. I want to go away. I want to go away. Tyltal, though stiff with fright, was able to say. Not now. I am going to turn the diamond. No, no, no. Cried Midal. I am so frightened, little brother. Don't do it. I want to go away. Tyltal vainly tried to lift his hand, he could not reach the diamond with Midal clinging to him, hanging with all her weight on her brother's arm and screaming at the top of her voice. I don't want to see the dead. They will be awful. I can't possibly. I am much too frightened. Poor Tyltal was quite as much terrified as Midal, but at each trial, his will and courage were becoming greater, he was learning to master himself, and nothing could induce him to fail in his mission. The eleventh stroke rang out. The hour is passing. He exclaimed. It is time. And releasing himself resolutely from Midal's arms, he turned the diamond. A moment of terrible silence followed for the poor little children. Then they saw the crosses totter, the mounds open, the slabs rise up. Midal hit her face against Tyltal's chest. They're coming out. She cried. They're there. They're there. The agony was more than the plucky little fellow could endure. He shut his eyes and only kept himself from fainting by leaning against a tree beside him. He remained like that for a minute that seemed to him like a century, not daring to move, not daring to breathe. Then he heard birds singing, a warm and scented breeze fanned his face, and, on his hands, on his neck, he felt the soft heat of the balmy summer sun. Hachi, Hachi, T, H, P, P, dot com.